0: My bones are still chattering because it's cold outside. But here we are for the January 15th edition of Bass Edge Radio.
1: That's right, Kurt. Another exciting episode on tap. And as always, presented by our friends at MegaWear Guard. Protect your boat against grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete boat ramps. Be sure to visit them at keelguard.com.
0: Aaron, as always, we've got another exciting episode on tap, and we're going to get a degree today in lure manufacturing. I can't wait. Let's get to it. Bass Edge Radio will be right back.
2: In three, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios.
0: Although it's cold outside, the days are getting longer and the bass are starting to move.
1: Man, they are. And you know what, Kurt? I have been using my time in the frozen tundra, if you will, to really do a lot of my pre-fishing via computer. And that's, of course, through my Bass Gold membership Really researching the patterns that are coming into play for this time of year on the bodies of water that I am fishing. More importantly, really kind of trying to dial in the lures. And what I'm finding thus far is certainly the jerk baits up higher in the water column, but also surprising to me was how much of a role the jig plays this time of year.
0: That's right, Aaron. And we're going to move into an interesting portion that we really haven't done before in Bass Edge. And we're going to get real detailed today in talking to a lure manufacturer about how precision of a process that some of these lures are being made by these days and uh, you know it's going to be a real interesting talk and conversation i feel like our anglers are going to understand a little bit better why particular lures look and act the way that they do but first before we get to that let's move straight into our tech minutes Our series continues with head chemist Mark Negus of Lucas Oil Products for today's Tech Minute, presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com. Mark, the last time we started down this path of ethanol and a negative impact can have if proper additives are not included to our watercraft and tow vehicles, in fairness, are there positive attributes to ethanol, whether they become economic or environmental?
3: Uh, yeah, there's actually uh, environmental and economic benefits to using ethanol. The environmental benefits are that it does reduce emissions, It improves the octane value in the gasoline, which increases the octane number and improves combustion and performance. As far as economic benefits are, it's uh, widely used. E10 is the most widely used. It does create domestic jobs and reduces our dependence on foreign oil. This has an effect on increasing our nation's energy dependence while reducing our trade deficit. Those are the two economic issues that really benefit using ethanol fuels.
1: Well, Mark, do you see us always being dependent on the use of additives when filling up with the gas pumps?
3: Uh, if you're going to be using ethanol fuels, yes. The reason being, is that ethanol does have some adverse effects on the equipment, especially if you're using a higher percentage of ethanol in an application where it cannot use that. For instance, if you're using E85 in a vehicle that is not equipped to use it, you're going to run into serious problems. So it's always beneficial to use additives to counteract those ill effects of the ethanol fuel.
1: Good stuff. There you have it, straight from a man whose IQ is the product of curtain eyes together. Looks like the additives such as ethanol treatment number cylinder lubricant for our fuel will be as common as salt and pepper on the dinner table. Bass Edge Radio will be back in a moment.
2: Two fishermen came together with one agenda to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish with our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride extreme rough water just doesn't exist We're not just building a boat, we're building a legend. Legend boats.
1: And now more of The Edge with Aaron and Kurt. Well, Bass Edge Nation, as mentioned in the opening, we are about to receive an honors course on jig fishing. Our guest is not only a highly accomplished angler, he is the founder of one of the most popular and technically sophisticated lure manufacturers in the world. We are fortunate to have Gail Julian of Jewel Bait Company.
4: Welcome to the show, Gail. Well, thank you, and I appreciate the opportunity to be on Bass Edge Radio and a a member of the Bass Edge Nation this morning.
1: Well, you are a rookie, but you are officially have been uh, ordained as part of the family and we welcome you to the fold and you know Gail one of the funny things is I've known you for a long time I've grown up fishing your baits specifically your jigs since the 1980s and I've been one of those that have been uh, really fortunate enough to really experience firsthand the difference in success rates as compared to other lure manufacturers but I never really understood why until I recently took a tour of the plant and was given the tutorial on this precision manufacturing that we're going to be speaking about. But before we dive off into that process, can you kind of give us a brief history of your transition into the lure manufacturing and how your past life has served you extremely well in Jules product development and manufacturing?
4: Certainly. Well, my past life, I worked for uh, Baxter uh, Healthcare Corporation, which is one of the world's largest manufacturers of medical devices. I started in the late 70s there uh, as an assistant on the line and worked my way up uh, over the course of time to uh, production supervision where we were working with some of the most sophisticated equipment in the world at that time. The company also had a bass club, and so I started fishing the bass club in the early 80s, and the more I fell in love with bass fishing and the challenges and the excitement of that, the more I realized that the products I were using were kind of not really up to the standard that, that I would like to have seen. And so being a tinkerer and also having this manufacturing experience, I decided to start doing some modifications and things. So at Baxter, we had obviously to build things very precisely because people's lives were at stake. We were making medical devices, so there was no second chance to get it right. And so I just kind of took that same mindset, same philosophy into building lures. So when I started, I started in my garage. My children were small. My wife was a stay-at-home mom, and so during the day, when the kids were either in school or taking a nap, she would help tie up some lures, and I would fish on the weekends or whatever. And then that transitioned kind of into a business because as people seen what I was using and some of the designs that I had, it started to get some attention. Not so much necessarily with my fishing prowess, but more from <laughs> what guys seen that I was being able to do as far as the design and color choices and things. So it started as a hobby, modifying some existing molds. Baxter had a machine shop, and in off hours, I was able to solicit their help in doing some of these things. And then later, as this became more of a business, as people became more and more interested in what we were building, uh, we started the lure company in 1989. I was still working at Baxter. And so there was a company also that started a couple of years before we did called KG Enterprise, and that's the building that houses Jewel and KG is, Aaron, where you took a tour. That company, the uh, original partners in that company, had the ability and the foresight, I think, really to be able to start using very precise equipment to mill and machine molds, something that we were also doing at Baxter for all of our tooling they were doing. So the precision that they were able to do was something that really intrigued me, and it was that that got me started using them as my manufacturer. So since the very beginning, they've actually been doing all my manufacturing. During this time, too, they were building more machines to do lead production and even plastic production. And a lot of those machines were recycled, if you will, machinery from Baxter. And as the usefulness of Baxter would diminish on a machine, they were available for bid. And, and so these machines were actually bought and then redone into lead casting equipment. So we had some of the same processors and controllers and all that that went into the machinery Baxter was now being used at KG to manufacture jigs with.
0: You know, there's so many people out there that start things and start tinkering in their garages and just start playing around with lures because, you know, really it's their hobby, yet yet, it's their real heart of passion. And, you know, this is one of those success stories that you wonder, you know, how many of those little evenings that you're messing around in the garage turn into uh, a corporation. And obviously with Jewel Bay Company, we're talking about, uh, you know, a big time industry player. So it's just really neat to hear how that development came about. You know, Aaron has been all of the fuss. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) since he went on that tour of that manufacturing process and really would love for you to continue to go into how you adapted the tooling used in that surgical manufacturer and the making lures and explain why anglers need to be aware of the differences about how your manufacturing process and those baits are made.
4: Well as I mentioned you know this machinery was made for making medical devices so when it was adapted to making lures obviously it was very precise. Now what's different about what we do here is first designed on a computer using 3D software and CAD-CAM type programs. And from that, we can take an idea that we want to produce and we can actually draw it out in finite detail and then cut a mold of that product. And so it allows us to produce an original piece and it also allows us to produce it at a very high quality, very tight tolerances and very exacting process. So the machinery that we run these products on, once the mold is built, allow that process to continue so everything is very precise. And the importance of that is most lures are made using spin cast equipment, which utilizes silicone molds, which are soft type rubber silicone. And the negative about that is, is that hardly ever is the lure precise coming out of a silicone mold because of it being soft. And the other downside is, is that in order to build a silicone mold, you actually have to have an existing product in order to lay between the two halves of the mold and compress to make a design from. So it's kind of like, you know, when you were a kid, You know, you made plaster paris molds and you pushed in an insect or something into the mold and and that left an impression. That's kind of what the silicone molds do. The problem is, is that, like I said, you have to have an existing product, whereas with our process, we actually design originals. And the other benefit is, let's say that you want to make a football jig and you want to make it from three-eighths ounce and you want to make it an eighth ounce increments all the way up to one ounce. We do that on a computer. So everything is symmetrical. The design is exactly the same. The size changes, but the design is the same. To do the same process in silicone mold means that you must either add bondo or plaster or something to your piece and then shape it by hand to try to get a bigger size. So if you don't already have one that exists, you have to make it by adding to it or taking away from that piece, whereas we scale it up or down on a computer screen, and then we mill it out of a piece of aircraft-grade billet aluminum. And the reason that most people in the lure business do what they do is they're doing the very best that they can with what they've got. The guys that build silicone molds, they're doing a good job with what they have. But to be in the silicone lure casting business for about thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars 35000 you can get everything you need to do the whole process. Whereas with us, we've got about $150,000 tied up just in our milling machine. And so it's not real cost effective for everybody to do this, but that's the way the KG and Jewel Bay Company have built things from the beginning. And it just gives us the ability to have a very high quality product that is very consistent In
0: nature. Well it's interesting, Gil, you know, when you talk about those things, and if an angler was to walk into Bass Pro shops and he looks at the head of, let's say talking about a football jig earlier, if he looks at a head of a jewel football jig and they look at a head of a different brand jig, whatever brand it is, not that we're trying to pitch one versus another, but if you just look at those side by side, you can really see the difference in that precision process. And of course, it's the old adage, you get what you pay for. And obviously, you know, the machines that you're using are a lot more expensive and a lot more pricey see than some of the machines that the other companies are using for their style of process, and you really see those differences visually as you look at those baits.
4: Yeah, the process we use by using billet aluminum and the machinery we use is very similar to what you would see on some of the television shows that you've seen where they're building car parts or wheels for a vehicle or something where they're cutting a piece out of a big chunk of billet aluminum. Well, we use the same technology here, only we're building fishing tack with it, so we're actually building a cavity to pour some. And what that does, whenever you look at a product and you look right down the middle of the product and looking at the hook end or the eye of the hook end, you notice immediately that if it's precision built that the eye is in the center of the head and that both sides of the head are symmetrical. And what happens a lot of times in other processes not using that type of billet aluminum is that you may have half of the jig being more on one side or half the spinnerbait being more on one side than it is the other side and you begin to wonder why the spinnerbait bait you're using doesn't run straight or why the jig doesn't fish the same way every time. It's really in that process process so you know attention detail and and making sure that everything is symmetrical is extremely important
1: well gail let's translate that into as far as i'm the angler i'm setting I, i don't know kentucky lake i'm fishing a ledge you're talking about having to add bondo or take away or form this by hand i'm using a jig that is not precision manufactured catching them like crazy as it drops off this ledge and then all of a sudden it gets tied up on a rock or I have to break that one off, I reach in the box, grab another jig. Not precision manufacturing. The next thing I know, I'm not getting any bites or not catching the quality or the size of fish that I was catching before. Why is that?
4: Well, there's something that most people are not aware of, and that is that lead varies in weight. Of course, just about everything we build uses lead or at least some lead. Lead can vary in weight by 40% depending upon its purity, and most people don't understand that. So as an example, a jig using scrap lead, which is what most tackle manufacturers use, can vary by 40%. So let's say that you're on Kentucky Lake and you're fishing a three-quarter ounce football jig and you break that off, you tie on another one, if their lead is not consistent, the next one you tie on may weigh five-eighths of an ounce. It can vary by that much. And we all know that developing that feel and having that same fall rate and having that same action is extremely important. If you're out there on the end of this shell bar barn, 30 feet of water on Kentucky Lake and you find that sweet spot out there with the jig that you were using and then you tie on one that may weigh less and you can't develop that same feel, you automatically lose confidence in what it is that is you're doing and that alone is going to result in less bites. So we formulate our own lead here. It's 9999 nine, nine, nine pure right from the smelter and then we add our own animonies to it to make sure that it is what we want it to be. We actually have three different leads here that we use. We develop them all in-house and we further refine them in-house and so all the impurities are are taken out and the lead comes more and more refined as we we use it, and then we recycle all of our lead right back into lead bars of one of those three varieties, and we keep real close check on those, and we can actually tell what a lure is going to weigh before we ever even cut a mold, because we designed it on the computer, we can tell how much lead it's going to use. So that's very important, and something that most people are not aware of, and that is that lead can vary by 40%, depending on its purity.
0: Guys, i got to say, that resonates really well when you're talking about this. I'm thinking through my mind of how many times you know I've been throwing a bait or a lure A particular lure, and I fall in love with that bait. And I'm like, man, this is the hot one, right? (laughs) You know, every time I throw it out there, I get bit, or it's a mental thing. You know, I know that this one jig that I have tied on the end of my rod is the one that's working. And, you know, if I were to lose that bait immediately, sometimes, you know, as anglers, we lose confidence. Like, oh, man, I lost my special lure. So the interesting concept here is that every lure, if you're using the Jewel product, is the exact same. So you don't have to worry about that you lost that particular bait because you know the next one that you pick out of your tackle box is going to be exactly the same and you can have that same feeling and it's going to improve your mental outlook that's a neat concept that i don't think i've ever thought about before and probably a lot of listeners they've had that feeling of losing that special bait but the only reason they're upset is because they're not quite sure that the same bait is going to be exactly identical to the one that they pull out of the box so in this case obviously with these products and the ones that gail you're manufacturing they're basically exactly the same because of those small tolerances
4: yeah this is very important. Confidence is the key in successful fishing and it is really important in jig fishing. And so you must be confident in the products that you're using so that you can fish them the same way. You know, you figured out a way to fish or biting a a jig, you can fish them the same way every time. You might want to change colors and still have the same confidence that the lure you're using is the same other than a color choice. Confidence is the main thing. If you can instill confidence in the individual that's doing the fishing, they will get more bites and their experience will be dramatically better.
1: Well, Gail, in our dissecting of the jig here, the obvious component is the hook itself. You've developed a proven opinion on this as well and quickly before we had to break talk us through what makes the best hook and why you use the one that you do
4: okay well all the modern fish hooks that are on the market are all sharp but the type of point is very important in jig fishing you're almost always fishing around cover whether that be rocks or wood you know some form of cover and so if you have a hook point that is sharp but it contacts a rock and the point rolls over then you have a problem and so we use most. Is our hook company we build all of our hooks that we use in in the jewel products are all custom they're built specifically for us and we actually designed the jig hook around the jigs that we're going to be producing so we're not relying on a stock hook A stock hook is fine. That's what most lure manufacturers use. And the stock hook is made for a wide variety of purposes. And so you're trying to use something that works fairly well into some designs that you're trying to produce, whereas we build a hook that works precisely the way we want it to in whichever jig we're going to produce. And that's very important. It's a lot more expensive to do that. Uh, Stock hooks are a lot cheaper because they make them by the tens of millions, whereas we have to order our hooks custom, and we usually order, you know, a half million to a million of them at a time. So the cost is more, but the end product is much better.
0: Yo, that's a lot of hooks. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> but as Aaron alluded to, it's time to take a quick break. So let's do that. When we come back, we're going to dive into specifics of fishing a jig. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio presented by Keel Guard. Oh, oh, oh,
2: righty At O'Reilly Auto Parts, you're guaranteed to get the everyday low price on the parts you need. Our guaranteed low prices ensure you're always getting our best deal. In fact, we'll match any local auto parts store's price on any like item. We have the parts you need at prices you can be sure of at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.
1: We are back on Bass Edge Radio, and this segment of the show is brought to you by Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. From real oil to two cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, visit them at lucasoil.com. It works.
0: Gail, you've spent countless hours and thousands of dollars developing molds of situation specific jigs. Give us your top picks on the versatility of a jig and the different ways that you like to fish them.
4: Well, in all the lakes that I've traveled to and I've traveled pretty much across the United States fishing different types of structure, there's a lot of similarities between those. So what we've done is developed tools for those purposes. Our Pro Spider jig, which is available in three sizes from three sixteenths, five sixteenths, and seven sixteenths, we built this for fishing rocky structures, Table Rock, Bull Shoals, North Fork, Lake of the Ozarks, and the head design on it is built so that it comes over rocks and cover real easily. It's built similar to the keel on your boat, on the hull on your boat. So whenever it contacts something, it deflects and comes over it. So I fish that jig primarily anywhere I'm fishing rock structure and not fishing over 30 feet deep because of the size, 716s being the heaviest. We also have a heavy cover football jig that we make from 3 8 ounce all the way up to 1 ounce. 3 8 and and half are a finesse size, so they have a finesse type skirt, and the 5 8 3 quarter and one ounce, I'll have a full skirt. And I fish this wherever I need a heavier jig or where I'm fishing brush and rocks. You know, most of our lakes now have core brush piles in those and so this jig was developed for that. A heavy cover football jig was something that really wasn't on the market. Nobody ever even thought about. A football jig primarily was manufactured for fishing deeper structure and dragging it on rocks and ledges and things like that. But because of all the structure that is in the lake, we built the heavy cover football jig to fish brush piles and those rock piles and things that you would encounter out there while fishing. And so it was really the first one kind of its kind on the market to be able to fish a brush pile as well as fishing rocks. So I fish it anywhere from, you know, zero to 50 feet deep, just to vary the size of the jig, depending upon how deep I want to fish it. And then we have a finesse jig that falls flat, and it is made in 5 sixteenths and 7 sixteenths, and it's made to imitate a crawdad. So as it falls off from ledge to ledge or fishing bluffs or boat docks, whether it's designed to fall flat because of the weight distribution. And the newest jig we've got is our casting jig. We developed that with pro-angler Stephen Browning, and he wanted a jig as he travels from coast to coast fishing the Bassmaster Elite. He wanted a jig that he could tie on and fish virtually anywhere and everywhere that he wanted to fish. And so you can fish this jig in brush piles, boat docks, hydrilla, go right to a ledge, to rocks, to riprap, whatever you want to fish. And if you had one jig that was the only jig that you could tie on, this jig is made to fish everything, and it does a remarkable job in fishing that. So those are four styles of jigs that we use primarily. We also have a swim jig that we use to fish boat docks and also over the top of grass and mats and things like that. We built that jig out of a material we call metallulite, and it's a product that weighs considerably less than lead. We developed it here, and what it does, it immediately comes up on top. So as you're cranking this jig on grass or mats, it immediately rises to the top of the surface, and you don't have to crank it fast if you don't want to for it to stay on top because it has the bulk and the size, but it doesn't have the weight. And we put a heavy hook in that for guys who want to fish braid or heavier fluorocarbon. So we essentially build tools for any job you want to do. If you want to fish shallow rocks, we've got it. If you want to fish brush piles at any depth, we've got it. If you want to fish a jig that falls flat, we have that. And if you want one to fish in virtually any type of cover that you would contact in a day of fishing, we have that as well. So they're all tools to do the best job possible.
1: Well, Gail, it sounds like, and perhaps maybe you've, you've already answered this question, but the variety of water column that you describe there is kind of top to bottom i mean pardon the pun but are there things that you use or how do you gauge or set a barometer of when to use a jig and how to use a jig versus say picking up a spinner bait or throwing something that is going to run more lateral in the water column
4: well, a jig is really versatile and fish are always on the lookout for an easy meal. And I think that while spinner spinnerbaits, crankbaits can be reaction baits, a jig can also be a reaction bait. But it's also a bait that when the fish are not real aggressive, they also will bite one because it looks like an easy meal. Typically, I discover the depth that the fish are at and the type of cover that the fish are around. And that will kind of determine for me the type of jig that I want to use. And I'll select the best tool then to do that. You know, I've often said you know you can build a set of kitchen cabinets with a sledgehammer and a chainsaw it's just not going to be a really pretty set of cabinets and they're probably not going to work all that great but if you have the right tools you can build a beautiful set of kitchen cabinets with them and that's kind of what a jig is it's it's a tool and so we build them specifically for that purpose so if the fish are at a certain depth and they're in rock structure then i'll select a jig based on that and the weight of the jig is important line size is important so those are also factors that go into that selection but the main thing is it's Cover, what depth of fish are at and what type of cover they're around.
0: Gail, you, know, you lead me right into my next thought process is from your standpoint, you know, you have these array of sizes uh, and weights and, you know, you kind of explained already to the listeners, you know, when you would use a particular jig based on cover or depth. How about those different weights of those jigs? How is an angler, from your standpoint, do you feel is determined to use a particular size at a specific condition?
4: I think once you've determined, you know, the depth and to cover that the fish are around. Clarity of water is also another factor. And, you know, we know here on the clear waters that we've got in this part of the country, and a lot of our lakes have really clear water in it, line size is also a factor. And so that's a very important part of the equation. Let's say that your fish are in 10, 12 feet of water and your water is clear. So you might want to use, you know, 10-pound fluorocarbon or 8-pound fluorocarbon to catch those fish, whereas if you were to use 15 or 20-pound, probably your bites are going to decrease significantly. So line size is very important along with the depth and the cover are some things that you have to put together. Obviously if at all possible you don't want to use six pound line fishing a brush pile 20 feet deep whenever you could do the same thing get just as many bites using you know 12 or 15 pound line and not have the fish tangle you up and break you off in a brush pile. So you know line size is important and that kind of water clarity kind of dictates some of that and then the depth and the cover also dictate what jig you want to use based on that.
1: Gail are obviously you know this because that's how you make your living, are undoubtedly one of the most versatile baits on the market and, and really a staple in every angler's tackle box. However, oftentimes Kurt and I hear feedback from listeners that anglers struggle to really kind of find their mojo or achieve success while fishing a jig. Can you give us pointers on how we can speed up that learning curve when wanting to really learn how and learn the proper way to fish a jig?
0: Yeah,
4: there's a few things that really need to be taken in consideration. One is the type of line that you use. I encourage everyone who wants to fish anything that makes contact with the bottom to use fluorocarbon. It telegraphs the feel, the bite, much better. Back To your rod, it's very important. It's also clear, it disappears in the water, it sinks, which means that you have a direct line, if you will, no pun intended there, from the tip of your rod to your lure. So, in jig fishing, where a small filament has a tendency to float, fluorocarbon doesn't. So, you have a direct, straight shot to your jig, which means then that you have a lot better feel and you can sense what's going on a lot better. So, that's very important. The other thing is rod choice. If you just had one rod to use for fishing, lighter, you know, half ounce or smaller. I personally use a, a 610 that's a medium heavy. And then for the bigger jigs, you know, half to three quarter ounce or even one ounce, I use a 7.3 type. So 7, 7.5 foot heavy for the bigger jigs and 6.5 and to 7 foot for the lighter jigs. And don't get too carried away with having a lot of different type of jig rods. Find one that works well with the size line that you're going to use and the size jig that you're going to use and stay with it. Because developing a feel and developing confidence in what you're doing is extremely important. Most jig fishermen have developed this. Most people who are learning to fish a jig, they haven't developed that yet. And the problem is that a lot of times in fishing in the lakes that I fish in, very rarely do we actually get a bite that you actually feel this thump on the end of your line and the fish swim off with it. That doesn't happen that much anymore.
0: I like so, those bites. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> They're usually drum. <laughs> yeah. Especially. Yeah,
4: like the Ozarks, you know, you get a bite like that and your line swims off. a lot of times it's a drum, but you don't get those bites as much. So learning the equipment that you've got and developing that feel is very important. So don't get too carried away with having a bunch of different rods. Just get the one that is made for that lure and then learn to detect the bite. Because most people, the bite that they feel, a lot of times on fishing a jig, is the fish spitting it out. And so people will jerk when they feel that. And the problem is the fish has already had it in its mouth for, you know, a period of time and... As finally decided just to spit it out, and what you feel is is actually expelling that jig out, so that's one of the main misconceptions from all the people I've talked with and doing seminars and trying to instruct people that's one thing that I notice is the biggest thing is that they say, "Well, I got the bite, and by the time I set the hook, the fish was gone well the truth of the matter is the fish already had it. What you detected was just spitting it out. And so the fluorocarbon line and a good rod and a good lightweight reel will allow you to better detect the bite, therefore setting the hook and being successful.
1: You can't overemphasize really watching the line as well in that scenario either, Gail. Exactly.
4: I'm glad you brought that up. Being a line watcher is extremely important. A lot of times fish will just pick up the jig and they may just move you know, a few inches with it. So being able to pay attention to what you're doing is important thing is, if you make up your mind that you're going to go out there as a beginning jig fisherman, that's all you're going to do. So put everything else away and put on the jig that you have confidence in and then learn to become a line watcher and pay attention to the bite. Forget about all the other things that you could be doing. A lot of guys will think about, well, if I were throwing a crankbait, if I were throwing a spinnerbait, if I were throwing a topwater or a Carolina rig, well put all those things out of your mind and concentrate on what it is that you're doing and pay attention to what's going on in your rod. You're trying to imitate a crawdad in the water most usually and a crawdad, you know, has a particular movement to it. So try to imitate that. You know, pump it a little bit and let it stop. Pay attention to everything that you're doing and don't be thinking about all the things that you could be doing. That alone will make you a better jig fisherman.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I want to throw in a quick tip on that too. My favorite jig to throw down here at Amistad is actually the uh, 5A Sounds Brown Purple Flash jig from Jewel. And when I throw that bait out there and I'm dragging it around the bottom, I want to be sure that in detecting that strike, one way that can really help is when I'm dragging that 5A Sounds, I feel what 5A Sounds feels like. And every time I'm moving my bait, I'm thinking, okay, that's 5A. Okay, that's 5A. Okay, that's That's five-eighths. As soon as it's something different than five-eighths, set the hook because that's that point where that you know even though you didn't feel a strike like gail was just talking about you know that's that just slight subtle change where that fish sucked that bait in you might not have felt the thump but it's probably got in its mouth and it's time to set the hook otherwise you'll be feeling the spit out like gail was talking about and you will wondering why you're missing too many fish but uh all great tips and gail really appreciate you uh dissecting that for us in that fashion but it is time now for our o'reilly auto parts listener question segment and and this question comes from Ken Chu of Fenton, Michigan. Ken's question is, why do the pros always say you'll catch more fish if you tune your crankbaits and spinnerbaits to run straight? Wounded bait fish don't swim straight. Gail, what do you got for Ken?
4: Yeah, Ken, that's a really good question. Lures are designed with a specific action when they are in tune. And so, If it's a crankbait and it's not running straight, it is not going to have the action that the designers had intended. A lot of testing goes into lures. The expense of building molds these days is outrageous. So you really want to make sure that what you're producing is everything that you want it to be. And so that attention detail has been put into products. So having an incorrect tune is very important. So it will work the way that it was designed to work. Same way with a spinnerbait. The spinnerbaits are made to run straight. Both these lures are are reaction baits and if they're designed correctly and they are tuned correctly, they're designed to catch fish. So you don't want them to to where they run on their side or they stray off to the side or don't deflect cover correctly. So you want those things to all be in tune so that you catch all the fish that you
1: can. Well, and also when you think about a crankbait and a spinnerbait in Ken's question, we think of those as more of a visual, but we can't underestimate that vibration that it puts off and appeals to the lateral line, especially in dingier water and things like that. You know, A lot of times if they're not running straight then we're not getting that vibration that those lures were designed to give off.
0: That's exactly right. Yep,
4: a very important point.
0: Well, thank you Ken Chu for sending in your question and congratulations for being chosen as the O'Reilly Auto Parts listener question segment. O'Reilly Auto Parts, the professional parts people. Ken, simply send us an email and let us know you heard that question chosen on the show along with your mailing address and we'll get you your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. Just a reminder to include your shipping address when you send in your listeners' questions to support at BassEdge.com or post on the Bass Edge Facebook page for your chance to win a $100 gift card from O'Reilly Auto Parts.
1: Well, Gail, it's uh, certainly been a pleasure talking with you. I feel like we just literally took a uh, MBA in lures and what the difference that precision manufacturing makes when it comes to actually catching fish. Any final thoughts that you have for Bass Edge Nation before you hit the road?
4: Well, I just want to thank you all for having me. I want to thank our customers out there potential customers out there. You know, we really believe that as a manufacturer, we owe it to the angler, to the consumer, to give them the very best product that can be built. Guys will have lots of dollars tied up in tow vehicles and boats and equipment, and your time on the water is scarce at best. None of us, no matter how much we fish, get to spend as much time on the water as we would like to. So as a manufacturer, we believe that we owe the consumer, the angler, the very best product we can produce for them and the very most consistent product we can produce for them so that their time on the water is as enjoyable as possible, and, you know, it's very important. We need to introduce more younger people to the sport. You know, if we can have the, the enjoyment of the sport, people are going to want to come take a part of that. So as many we believe, if we add to the experience, then we can add to the amount of we have out there.
1: That's great advice. You know, our time is precious, and uh, certainly being in your position, being able to foster those memories and camaraderie with whether it be a dad, an uncle, a mom, an aunt, or a child that's really what it all comes down to Gail once again thanks for being on the show let's take a quick break you're listening to Bass Edge Radio presented by Megaware Kielgard what's
2: up y'all this is Vish Moreau be sure to stay tuned to Bass Edge Radio Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com.
0: Aaron, man, that was a very interesting interview there with Gail of Jewel Bait Company. You know, he brings into a lot of uh, different things that on a daily basis or, or weekend basis, we don't really think a whole lot about how a process of manufacturing a bait changes our fishing. And a lot of that process obviously help our fishing and really jigs. Look, I love to catch big fish jigs do that for me.
1: Well, absolutely. And one of the things that I took away from that interview, Kurt, is I am so thankful that there are manufacturers out there like Gale and Jewel that pay attention to that so that I don't have to. And quite frankly, you know what? If the manufacturing process is good enough to make surgical tools when they're in the operating room in a life or death situation, chances are that's probably going to translate into catching more fish when it comes to being on the water.
0: Yeah, it sure does, Aaron. You know, we really love to see some feedback from our bass edge listeners on this particular topic what did you all think do you really like listening from these manufacturers and learning more about these processes let us know on our facebook page and obviously on our twitter handle at bass edge but thanks to you aaron and sayonara to episode 176 i'm kurt dove and we're looking forward to our next episode of bass edge radio
2: The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.